Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Join co-hosts Will and Brian as they break down the lore of a rich multiverse 50 years in the making in a lighthearted and beginner-friendly way. They cover everything from character creation options to tips for dungeon masters. There's something for everyone, no matter how long you've been playing TTRPGs. Find The Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week we have our own Power of Three. It's episode 410 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Another fun-filled week of interviews this week. Starting with the Charmed Ones, Melanie Diaz and Sarah Jeffrey talking about everything that's been going on on Season 4 so far. And of course, brand new episode airs tonight. That is Friday on The CW. Also, Hiro Kanagawa going to join me to talk about some Star Trek Discovery. And we'll revisit his character on Upload as well. And then director Rob Schroeder going to be talking about his brand new movie, Ultrasound. Which is really funky, mind-trippy type movie that I think you're really really going to enjoy. I'm also going to give you a bunch of reviews this week and go back and revisit Nightmare Alley since it's now out or going to be coming out on Blu-ray and DVD now on a digital HD. Hulu's Deepwater, I'll talk about that. You know, I've been waiting to talk about DMZ, which premiered on HBO Max. I'll do that as well. Well, maybe even sprinkle some nerd news in, you know, if we have time. So let's get to the charm ones right now. Melanie Diaz and Sarah Jeffrey talking charmed next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Lexa Doig from Arrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, if you watch the season four premiere of Charmed on the CW, you know things are a little bit different now. You've got a new Charmed one, and of course, a brand new season always brings something a little bit different, but not quite like this. So I got a chance to be a part of a press roundtable with Melanie Diaz, of course, where he's Mel on the show, and Sarah Jeffrey, who plays Maggie, to talk about a whole bunch of stuff that's going to be coming up this season. Matter of fact, the first question that was asked of them by one of the other journalists was talking about the dynamic change with a brand new actress coming up in the series and having a new dynamic with the Power of Three and the Charmed Ones and talking about basically the changes. So here's what they had to say. I think we were just talking about how it's kind of interesting. Every season has had a very different vibe, whether it's noticeable to the audience or not. And I I think it probably is. Every season has just felt like an evolution to get to where we are. And I think it's it's just been really fun to have a new different energy come in and something different to play with and kind of change the dynamic of the sisters because they are all so different. And our, our new charmed one played by Lucy Barrett is so different from from Macy's character. And yeah, it just brings like a new energy that I think is really fun to play with. And I hope that comes across in the season. Yeah, like Lucy, um, Lucy Barrett, she's awesome. She's Australian. She's so she's really fun. <laughs> really fun. She's positive and she's kind. And like it's just kind of, it's just, you know, it's always nice to as an actor to have a new sparring partner in scenes. And you know, like season four of a show, I think it's kind of a like a good time to like do that if you if you were if you were going to do it yeah keep it fresh and i think we've been really lucky and i think it's good as for us as actors but also as characters too because you know with um macy's death like they're they're both really grieving and i think the lightness of her character kind of helps them well not get over it but try their best to get over it mm-hmm. 
And speaking of Macy's death, it got me thinking. So I asked Melanie and Sarah if they thought that Mel and Maggie actually had a chance to grieve Macy properly with everything that's going on. Here's what they had to say. Now, obviously, you guys are in a tough spot as the season starts out. And grieving obviously takes time as well. But being the charmed ones, there's always threats that need taken care of. So given that, do you feel like Mel and Maggie even have the opportunity to grieve Macy properly? Well, when we see them, it's been, I, I believe, six months post her death. And I think even now at the end of the season, I don't think they're ever going to really completely forget her or recover from that kind of thing happening to them yeah. as sisters. But they definitely have two different ways of coping. Like Mel mm-hmm. is just going balls to the wall, going to the bars, dating the girls, drinking. Yeah, I think it's been really fun to to play that and to, to see Mel having fun versus her trying to control everything. And I think I think the audience will have a lot of fun seeing her do that too. Because I think a lot of people can relate, you know, you kind of, you know, get really depressed or you kind of just like try to forget everything and um, yeah and and that's where we find her in the beginning of the season so if you already watched the season four premiere you know that maybe we saw some familiar creatures come back from past seasons pixies are back as well playing a role so one of the other journalists asked how fun it was to have some of those characters come back and maybe meet some new ones as well so fun emily bader who plays chloe is just like a joy to be around and a joy to watch So it was really cool having like tying in the first season to the fourth season because it's been so long and just we get to meet really new, exciting characters. We get to revisit old characters. And it's just the nature of a magic show is that anything can really happen. So it's been really fun getting to do different things that maybe I wouldn't get to do on a normal project. And yeah, I just hope that the audience sees our joy and feels feels the same we have a new set called the blue camellia which is where we're going to be meeting a lot of these magical characters even for me like sometimes i'll be sitting in hair and makeup and i'll be like oh my god like that's a new person that's a like like crazy shit like yeah like leprechauns and like it's just so cool to see like the people and the characters that come out of our trailer it's pretty cool yeah yeah, it's like a little world, and so it definitely keeps fun, uh, work fun. Yeah, I think people are going to enjoy a lot of the, the characters this season. One of the next questions asked of Melanie Diaz and Sarah Jeffrey, again about the new Charmed One, talking about her abilities and how it can maybe help the team or not. Here's what they think. Well, that's the thing is that like I think Kayla is kind of learning her new power and we are also learning it with her so as you see the episodes there are ways that she helps us that are really interesting and surprising and innovative we're like whoa she did that to help like whoa like that just solved the puzzle yeah i think it's a really innovative way to deal with magic that the girls haven't really dealt with before and it's a really good problem solver It's not just about character changes with new faces coming into the show. It's about changes to the characters themselves that have already been on the show for a while. So one of the questions that was asked of Melanie and Sarah was, what what was something that you were really looking forward to coming up in season four? I was looking forward to a power upgrade, not going to lie. Totally. What is is Maul going to do now? And I'm really liking it. I'll tell you that. (laughs) <laughs> it's been really fun and on a personal level it's just like I was looking forward to doing more stunts you know I wanted Mel to have more like relationship stuff I wanted her to kind of like loosen up a little bit and I think you'll definitely kind of see that in season four 
for Maggie, I, it's hard because I didn't, I didn't really know where we were going to go with it, but, you know, having conversations with the showrunners and everything, I sort of discovered that we would see this other side of Maggie that we haven't really touched on yet, a more intense side of her, which is really fun because obviously you want to do it all as an actor and we've seen the light side of her and right out of the gate in, in the first episode, uh, she's pretty tough. And personally, um, like I was saying earlier, we, every season has just looked so different um, and felt so different from the inside and probably out as well. So I was just excited for another, what are we going to get? What's happening next? Keeps me on my toes. So, you know, I couldn't just not ask them about this season's big bad, right? So I got a chance to ask Sarah and Melanie about what they can tell us about this season's villain. All right, you ladies have done such a wonderful job of teasing stuff without spoiling anything. So I'm going to challenge you one more time because you've got a brand new big bad this season. I know we can't say the name, but how much can you tease for us about what makes this particular big bad so terrifying? He seems very, I don't know, when you see him, he just seems like a normal person, but he's evil in the way that he kind of, he just preys on people's vulnerabilities and Mm -hmm. he kind of targets a group of people that feel very, I don't know, I don't want, I can't really see. I know. He's a master manipulator. There you go. Perfect. And that is all I can give you. Yeah. Because if not, it'll really just, yeah, you got to see it. But he's also, I've been saying like, he's probably my favorite villain we've had. A lot of the focus is on the charm from us, but we can't forget about Jordan either. So one of the other journalists asked if we could see his role maybe expanding a little bit on the team. Yeah, he's right in there. He's right in the action, which I think has been like, it's been really nice to have him become even more of an like integral part of the team. Because before he was like the, the human that knows, like the friend, the one that's in on the secret. But now he's like, he's like really oh, in. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we see it in the we see it in the the, the first episode of season four, and you're going to continue to see it in different ways. Um, and yeah, he really pulls through. And I can tell you right now, this next episode of Charmed, episode two of season four, you're going to learn so much more about Lucy Barrett's character. You're going to learn so much more about the big bad, whose name I, I still won't say. I know they kind of teased it at the end of the first episode, but just in case you're not caught up yet, I don't want to be that guy. But there's a lot of reasons to be excited about this season of Charmed. And I think that the point that Melanie Diaz and Sarah Jeffrey made early on is a good one in that if you were going to shake things up, now is a good time. And it feels like season four almost feels like a fresh start, but not because you still got some, you've still got some good carryovers. And they said, you know, calling back to season one for some things as well. So it's kind of like the mixture of both worlds. So maybe this is a good time to jump in to Charmed every Friday night on the CW. You can, of course, watch next day on the CW app and get caught up on season four if you haven't already. Again, thanks to Melanie Diaz and Sarah Jeffrey and the amazing other journalists for their great questions. Talking about season four of Charmed. Up next, going to talk to Hiro Kanagawa, who we've seen on Star Trek Discovery and Amazon Prime's Upload and so much more. Let's dive into all that stuff with him next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book writer Jackson Landon, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's a guy that you're going to be able to see in a lot of great stuff. I'm talking Star Trek Discovery. You just saw him in that. You're going to be able to see him on Upload, which season two streaming on Amazon Prime Video. He's got a big role there. And some other stuff I'm going to talk to him about as well. It's Hiro Kanagawa. Hiro, how you doing? Hi, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. 
Doing very, very well. Now, I want to start off by talking about Star Trek Discovery Hero because you've been a part of many different shows, many different franchises over the course of your amazing career. How excited are you, were you to get a chance to be a part of something as iconic as Star Trek? It was a thrill. I think this is probably the really biggest franchise that I have been a part of. For someone my age, of course, when I was a kid, it was a three-channel universe. You'd come home from school and there'd be Gilligan's Island, and maybe like the Merv Griffin show or something like that, and then Star Trek. So someone my age obviously has seen the original episodes numerous times. So it was a huge thrill, especially because the role that I have now, I think I had previously auditioned maybe two or three times for Discovery. And once, I'm, I think they were pretty close to casting me, but uh, the schedule just didn't work out. So it was a great great thing that it finally worked out for me. So so given that, do you kind of feel like those other two times where it didn't really work out for whatever reason, do you feel like this ro- role of Dr. Hurai, do you think this is the role you're like, okay, I'm glad those things didn't really work out re- re- so well because I really like this guy? I really do like Dr. Hurai. Yeah, I do. He's been in a couple of episodes that have aired now and people who've been watching, I think, can appreciate that he's a little bit socially awkward. I think ultimately his heart is in the in the right place. He most definitely wants to contribute to the mission and he's going to need some encouragement though to to get over his bedside manner, you know, as they say about doctors. It's funny that you mentioned that because we see in this last episode he kind of has a little bit of a run-in with the president. I thought that was a really, really great scene talking about that bedside manner. Do you think mm-hmm. he? it's kind of more of like, a, does he just have no filter or is it actually kind of one of those things where maybe there's some denial there or just maybe even a little bit of fear as well as to what might be going on? You know, that's part of it. For me personally, the way that I approached it as an actor is given that the universe of Star Trek Discovery is a, is a matriarchal universe, I kind of came at it from the point of view of there's something about that that grates on him, perhaps. So that was kind of my in to his abrasive manner, which, you know, is easy easy for me because I come from a very patriarchal culture, right? Japan is a very patriarchal culture. That was kind of uh, how I got into it. Now, whether or not that really translates to, you know, centuries in the future or not, but as actors, we kind of have to make it personal for us. Obviously, you join a show like this. You look at this amazing cast. They've already, this is now the fourth season of the show, and they've built up so much, so much great character work in those three seasons prior to that. What was it like getting to jump in and work with this incredible ensemble cast? Because there's a lot of good ones. I can't say enough about uh, the show and the people involved. There are a lot of sets that you go on that aren't particularly personable. You know, it's it's hard to build relationships and uh, have friendly conversations with your colleagues on on some sets, but that was absolutely not the case. I'm, I'm and I just want to say, fans of the show will you know be happy to learn that everyone on this show is just such a tremendous, warm, friendly human being, and that really starts from the top. My time on the show was was tremendous. It was certainly a career highlight for me. Yeah, I, I can't say enough about about everyone. So talk about this mission a little bit before we move on to some of your other projects. I mean, you've got the, you cross the galactic barrier, you're going for first contact, you've got to find out what's going on with the DMA. How scary is the future 
of this show going to be, of course, without spoiling anything? The thing that, that really captures the imagination is the fact that we have gone beyond the galactic barrier. And, you know, I think the tendency in the Star Trek franchise is for aliens to be beings that are kind of anthropomorphic and that we can relate to and communicate with in a way that we understand, right? And, you know, I think it's been pointed out and it's absolutely true that this time the alien life form may, may be something we don't have any means of understanding what they're about, you know? And, and then in the first episode, in fact, the first scene in which I appear, we, we discuss that. None of our translators are going to work. We don't know how we're even going to be able to communicate with these beings. And I know, you know, it was uh, mentioned to me that we had quite a bit of expertise. We had a lot of uh, consultation with people who, you know, are involved in this field of what would we do? How would we communicate with aliens if we ever encountered them? So I think fans are, are in for a real treat. That's really, really cool to know. I can't wait to see how that's going to play out in the future. We're talking to Hiro Kanagawa, who, of course, was part of Star Trek Discovery, which you can now stream on Paramount+. Plus. But let's switch gears a little bit, Hiro, to something else that you're a part of as well, and that's season two of Upload on Prime Video, mm -hmm. which is an amazing show. There's no, shadings, there's no shortage of shady dealings going on at Lakeview, and we know that Detective Sato is going to be a big part of a big investigation that's going on there. How difficult, Hiro, is this investigation going to be? Well... You know, it's the tone of the show is anything that happens gets screwed up ultimately, right? So, <laughs> no so you know, definitely it's not an easy investigation by any means for my character and with, you know, I think hopefully darkly comedic results. I don't know if a lot of people know this about you, but as, as I was preparing things here, you were actually the voice of Reed Richards. Yes. Mr. Fantastic and the Fantastic Four World's Greatest Heroes from 2006 to 2010. So this is a, obviously a, a franchise that, you know, now that it's part of the Marvel Studios and MCU that they're thinking about, you know, redoing and eventually we're going to have another Fantastic Four. So how did you get into the character of Reed Richards and what do you think is the most important aspect of that character? Thinking back, you know, I remember when I auditioned for it, I remember the breakdown said, think young George Clooney slash Topher Grace. Wow, that's that's an interesting combination. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, so that led me to understand that what they envisioned for, it was, I mean, that animated series, all the characters were kind of younger and hipper, right? So, you know, going with the spirit of that, it led me to, to kind of uh, think, well, even though he's this brilliant scientific mind, there has to be a kind of humanity, a warmth and a charm to him. That's kind of how I approached that particular uh, role. And I was probably one of the few people in the cast who just basically got to use my regular speaking voice. You know, I didn't have to put much of a spin on it. Hero, I, there's something that you're going to be a part of that I'm really, really excited about, and that's sh that Shogun, which is going to be mm -hmm. coming to FX here not too long from now. What can you tell us, as much as you can, of course, about your role in the show and just about the show in general? How amazing is this going to be? It's going to be epic. I don't have a large role. I play a general who is actually not in the book at all. They kind of, you know, made a, made a general up for me, which I totally appreciate. 
What I can tell you is that the attention to detail and authenticity is just beyond imagination. Uh, and a lot of that, I think, is the lead, Hiroyuki Sanada, who is also a producer. He's brought in so many experts from Kyoto, costuming, dialect, weapons, you know, you name it. They have spared no expense in, in getting the uh, authenticity correct. So I think uh, people are just going to be blown away by the production values and, you know, obviously the, the tremendous cast that's been assembled, but it's, it's going to look spectacular and feel spectacular. Hero, before I let you go, I want to go back to Star Trek for just a second because there, there's alternate timelines that we work with now on, on these series. There's so many different spin-off shows that are going on as well. What do you think your future in Star Trek might be? Even if it's not on Discovery, could you see yourself maybe ending up on one of these other shows in some way? Man, I'm all for, you know, crossovers. I'm all for that. So I'm open to anything like that happening. You know, maybe I could come back as an alien too, you know, who knows? Oh, you never, oh, look at that. He just throws that right out there. And that, that sounds, like, character. A, that I sounds mean, like an amazing I'm idea. I'm open for all of that stuff, yeah. That sounds like a great idea. But if you go to this guy's IMDb page, you're going to be blown away at all the stuff that he's not that he's already been in and stuff that he's got coming out too. Let's just start with Star Trek Discovery, which is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You could also watch him in season two, of Upload on Prime Video, and I mean, can't wait for Shogun as well. There's so many great things, and that's, I'm sure, not going to be the end of it as well for Hiro Kanagawa. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to reach your audience. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And if it wasn't obvious, this was obviously recorded before the finale of Star Trek Discovery this season. But, you know, spoiler free, just in case you haven't had a chance to catch up yet. But, but I got to say, Dr. Hurai was a very interesting character in this past season, wasn't he? And, and maybe you hated him. Maybe you got a couple of laughs out of him. But 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 honestly, a, a very interesting character in a very, very unique season. And also, just this past season of Upload, you heard me talk about it last week, about just how fun it is and the fact that he got a chance to be a part of that is incredible. So, yeah, go ahead and just consume all the great stuff that Hiro Kanagawa has out there. And there's actually more of my interview with Hiro Kanagawa. If you want to go to our YouTube channel, you can find that at downandnerdypodcast.com. Some questions that you didn't hear on the podcast, you'll see on the video for some more great stuff as well. Up next, we're going to talk about Ultrasound with director Rob Schroeder. Let's get inside the mind of that movie next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. 
And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. This is Francesca Root Dodson from Gotham, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Based on the Connor Stickshold graphic novel, Generous Bosom, Ultrasound is now streaming on your favorite digital HD platforms. And I'm joined right now by director Rob Schroeder. Rob, how are you doing? Not too bad. How are you, James? Doing really good, man. I mentioned Connor's graphic novel, of course, a second ago. How familiar were you with that story? And what were your first impressions of it? I had picked up the first two books of the four-part graphic novel series. And uh, I was very intrigued, didn't know where it was headed, and reached out to Connor. He had a pretty good understanding of all four books and kind of where the story was headed. He explained it to me and wanted to write the screenplay himself. So we got that process started. He came to LA. We worked together for about a week and ultimately came up with this screenplay. And then he went back and wrote and drew and painted and created book three and four. So it was a little bit like Game of Thrones where he was basing stuff on the script halfway through. So it was kind of a weird process, but we worked great together and the collaboration was awesome. That's even more amazing having seen it and now knowing that that's really, really neat. Rob, I don't feel like it's fair to pigeonhole this by calling it sci-fi, mystery, what have you. So how would you describe it for anybody that's going in fresh? It's a tricky one. 
I think of it as like grounded sci-fi, meaning there are no like laser guns or you know anything too far out. It's all kind of based in this reality on this planet with this, <laughs> with these physics. But there's definitely thriller elements and genre shifts. But there wasn't. I mean, it, reading the book, it didn't feel conventional. The screenplay didn't feel <laughs> conventional. And, uh, you know, I, I think the movie probably lands in a few different genres. So I don't know if you and Connor were trying to give us whiplash, but there's so many twists and turns in this movie. It's hard to keep your bearings at times watching it. So how do you manage all of that and make it make sense in the end? Well, the first thing I did was put the books away because, you know, there's more there's more story there. So it it was difficult, difficult enough to keep the screenplay and all those moving parts kind of in mind so that people don't miss an important clue. So that was important to get rid of the books and rely on the screenplay. And then, you know, I tried to, to just track where the audience was the whole time and where the characters were the whole time so that, um, you know, the viewing experience was, was satisfying and not totally confusing. <laughs> And boy, will stuff make more sense as you go to there's certain things in the beginning where I'm like, why is that? Oh, that's why that's there. So I started watching a little bit further on as well. Now, Rob, there's some really deep psychological elements that are involved in this film. Did you do any research or anything like that to help make things feel a little bit more authentic? I mean, because this stuff could it seems like it could be happening right now without us even knowing it. Yeah. One of the origins for Connor was that he actually saw a stage hypnotist perform when he was in high school, like after a prom or something, and his friends were hypnotized. So that, you know, was pretty real world. Vincent Carthizer and I talked a lot about Glenn when he came on board. Vincent doesn't have any social media, probably for this reason, because, you know, I, I feel like, you know, in the world we live in, it's easy to get caught up in these realities and pulled in these different directions. And with the phones we have were able to get lost a little. So that felt very real world. And then, you know, in doing research, like the Soviet the Soviets, for example, did a lot of hypnosis research and experimentation. And at one point there was a guy who was kind of like a self-help hypnotist and he would, he went on national television in front of millions of people and would hypnotize people in their homes and do things like you put a glass of water in front of your television and then it would get charged with some magical properties and you would have that with you until the next session. And, you know, he was doing mass hypnosis. You know, that's kind of where this story is headed with art and his nefarious schemes. And buckle up because that is just the tip of the iceberg. We're talking to director Rob Schroeder of Ultrasound, which is now available on digital HD. Now, Rob, you work with a great cast here, and I want you to talk a little bit about that chemistry between Vincent and Chelsea, because I really feel like that shows as we know more and more about Glenn and Cindy throughout the film. Yeah. You know, we didn't have a rehearsal, so they met on set, you know, on the first day, and they're both very professional actors and kind of know the process. They knew their characters. We had an intimacy coordinator that talked to each of them individually and then together because there's a, that bedroom stuff. And I don't know, they, they both really invest in character and really kind of created 
in my mind, three-dimensional characters that really interacted well together. Rob, before I let you go, I think Brita Wool deserves a ton of credit here, not just for her performance, but the fact that uh, Shannon seems like so much of the foundation of what's going on here. So how important is she to this story? I agree. I thought what Brita did was phenomenal. Her perspective on the job that she, you know, that, that Shannon had working at that facility was very interesting. You know, to Connor's credit, it's an intro, like the introduction of Shannon a little late, I thought was fascinating because, you know, traditionally you meet the lead character, the main character right out of the gate. And it appears to be Glenn or Cindy. And that story is very important. But, you know, for me, Shannon becomes a real hero. What Breeder was able to do with that was killer. And get ready for a wild ride ultrasound now streaming on digital HD wherever you get your favorite movies from Magnet and Magnolia Pictures and get ready to go down the rabbit hole with his and Connor's vision. It's director Rob Schroeder. Thank you so much for taking the time, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, James. That was awesome. And seriously, when you're watching ultrasound, there's going to be times where you're like, where am I at right now? What's happening? And not in a bad way, in, in such a weirdly amazing way way and then once you get those callbacks the more and more you watch the movie you're gonna be mad at yourself that you didn't figure it out sooner quite frankly but then you go oh wow that was that really took me somewhere that i didn't expect and the twists that you may or may not expect as well so make sure you're watching ultrasound on digital hd you're not going to be sorry because this thing is going to take you on a wild ride Again, thanks to director Rob Schroeder for joining me to talk about Ultrasound up next. Let's get into some reviews, and I'll start with Nightmare Alley next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Dave Dastmalchen, creator of Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It is Academy Awards season, and one movie that got a bunch of nominations is Nightmare Alley, which is, of course, now available on digital HD, going to be available on Blu-ray and DVD this coming Tuesday. And I got a chance to check it out finally. Searchlight Pictures and Walt Disney Pictures provided me with a free copy for review. All opinions are my own. So I wanted to give, I don't want to dive into too many spoilers about the movie in case you're not aware of what it's about. Basically, there's a Carney who has a talent for manipulating people. We kind of see him when he's down in this luck. At the very beginning of the movie, and and he he finds this gimmick. It's a really good one, and then he ends up sort of teaming with a female psychiatrist, and she's got her own agenda, too, as you as you see as things unfold. But I mean, Bradley Cooper, Stanton Carlisle is interesting. We find him, like I said, down in his luck at the very beginning, and you see that ambition in him, but then you also see that turn in him once he. I don't necessarily want to say gets what he wants but finds himself on the path that he wants, maybe. And it's when he hooks up with Kate Blanchett's character of Dr. Lilith Ritter that things really, really start to go down a very, very uh, just twisty and turny direction, for sure. But it's his time in the carnival as a carny that I thought was a really, really interesting part of this movie. And, of course, that's where he meets Molly Cahill, who's played by Rooney Mara. And I was torn because... I really enjoyed that part of the movie and his time in the carnival and and just watching him sort of, you know, find his spot and sort of find his his ambition a little bit there and work his way up through. But I also really enjoyed the second part 
of the movie. It really was divided into two halves when he leaves with Molly and sort of becomes this master manipulator and really pushes his luck, for lack of a better way of putting it. I don't want to spoil too much about what happens towards that part of the movie, but he starts prognosticating for people for big money and gets involved with some very dangerous people. Let's just put it that way. But though it was those two halves of the movie that I found myself torn of which one that I really wanted to follow more. I thought it would have been interesting if they played the angle of he did that while he was still a part of the carnival, because I feel like that would have upped the stakes a little bit. I feel like it wouldn't have just been Molly and himself that he was screwing over. If he messed up, it would be everybody. He'd take everybody down with him. And I thought that that early relationship with Pete's character, who was played by David Strathairn, who I don't think it's enough credit for how he did in this movie. I think that established some stakes and I think those were dismissed a little bit too quickly for him to kind of leave with Molly. And of course, not everybody was thrilled about him potentially leaving with Molly and almost how he kind of leaves them behind. So it, all, it, it makes him the jerk, right? In a, in a lot of senses. But that's not the only thing that makes him the jerk for sure. And then th- there are some tropes there with his relationship with Molly that, that I didn't care for. There's also the trope of, you know, he was a bad dude and he had some family issues in the past. And he's got this mysterious past that he's trying to run from sort of thing and or, or try to bury. And, you know, I could have done without that. I don't think they really needed that aspect of it. I thought that him becoming this man- manipulator was kind of enough for me. I didn't really need that backstory to to want to root for or hate this guy. So I, I don't know that that was really an angle that needed to be played up. But I think what this movie really is about is, first of all, visually, Guillermo del Toro just does such a fantastic job on the visuals and and the shots in this movie. I'm not a big, you know, look at the camera angles and look at how this was framed. Well, I'm not usually that guy, but man, did it make a huge difference in this movie. And I'm not sure that anybody else could have done this justice for sure and I mean we know that this is based on the novel by by William Lindsay Gresham and and I thought that you know taking you know you always take liberties when you adapt something to the screen and I thought that you know it was it was certainly a an honorable job that they did of telling this story but it was just such a and the scenes between Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett I thought especially really really stood out that odd chemistry that Stanton and Dr. Lilith Ritter had And what she did to manipulate him in turn, I thought was super, super amazing. And Richard Jenkins, too, Ezra Grendel, we see him in the second half of the movie, that the intensity that that, especially towards the end, those scenes brought, I thought was absolutely incredible. And then you just see the deterioration of relationships and, and of Stanton Carlisle's character in general. And, And I do think that Bradley Cooper deserves a lot of credit for how he played this off as well. And you see a moment from earlier on in the movie come full circle, something with Willem Dafoe's character. It comes full circle in the end, which I thought was a nice tie-in or a nice callback to the beginning of the movie. And almost like, a you know, does, does this person get what they deserve or do they not get what they deserve or something like that? So, again, very, very interesting dynamics at play here. Was it perfect? No, I don't think it was perfect. I think it fell just short of my expectations. I was really looking forward 
to a really interesting noir type story, but it, it kind of made me think of The Illusionist a little bit with Ed Norton, if you if you remember that movie. Maybe a little bit of The Prestige as well. I know I referenced that movie more than a couple of times with with Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. Not exactly the same, but there's certainly enough similarities there that it made me think of it. But again, if there would have been a couple of different choices made in this movie, I think I would have enjoyed it a little bit more. But I definitely still enjoyed it nonetheless. And, and the, the whole time period aspect of the 40s, I thought, was a really cool time to set this in. And I thought that that was very well done as well. And there are a lot of good character moments here, too. Is it Oscar-worthy? I don't know if the movie itself is Oscar-worthy. There's certainly some performances in there that you can make the case for and make the case for Guillermo del Toro as well. So, And since we are talking about the Blu-ray DVD release here and the digital release, we do get a few special features, featurettes that are involved in this. My favorite one out of all of them is Behind the Tarp, where they take you behind the how they built the sets and things like that and the meaning of each set and little Easter eggs that Guillermo del Toro points out. It's it's so amazing watching the fact that how they, they that carnival set, they built that. On location in Toronto because Guillermo del Toro was talking about him. He wants to be a, a living, breathing thing. And it really, really was in there. Just eye for authenticity of the time period really, really stood out. So these special features, if you were a fan of the movie before or if you just want more insight into things, it'll definitely make you appreciate the movie even more once you check these out. I do think Nightmare Alley definitely worth your time. You want to get it on digital HD, you can do that now if you want to wait for the Blu-ray and the DVD and 4K Ultra HD. That's going to be happening on March the 22nd. That's going to do it for my review of Nightmare Alley from Searchlight Pictures. Up next, we'll head into the deep water and talk about the new Ben Affleck movie from Hulu next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Cassia Tellis from The 100, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. When troubled waters can lead to deep water, the new Hulu movie is now streaming and it stars Ben Affleck and Anna DeArmas. And I want to give my spoiler-free review of this because it just came out. Again, I don't want to be that guy. And the gist of this is, first of all, it's based on the novel by Patricia Highsmith. If you've read the book, you kind of already know what it's about. If you haven't, it's basically a well-to-do husband named Vic, and that is played by Ben Affleck. And he kind of allows his wife to have affairs to avoid a divorce. And his wife, Melinda, played by Anna DeArmas. And then he ends up being becoming a prime suspect in the disappearance of... Of those lovers, what's interesting about this movie is for me, as I'm watching it, first, first of all, it's ex- extremely uncomfortable to watch at times, especially if you're, if you're married. This will hit you a little bit differently if you're married, I think, and just the dynamic between the two of them. And if you've ever been in a group of like other couples, have you ever been in one of those situations where there's always that one couple that clearly just doesn't really get along? And it's it's so outward that that it makes everybody in the room feel a little bit uncomfortable and you're not really sure what to say. That happens several times in this movie. And I thought that, that was really, really interesting in and of itself. There's so many tense and awkward moments between Vic and Melinda that sometimes it just gets a little bit uncomfortable. And and maybe this is a little bit of a spoiler. So I'll give you a little bit of a, of a warning here. It's not just that he lets her have affairs. The way that she's so blatant about it was so interesting. It's it's not well hidden at all. And does that make it better? I, I, maybe not. But at the same time, 
literally it's it's right in front of her husband's face almost like she's flaunting in front of him and it's there's this really dangerous manipulation game that they're playing with one another especially from from Melinda I felt like as well and maybe it's a situation where well well you know they're different people or have they grown to be different people but they do have a family they have a daughter named Trixie and she plays an interesting role in the movie as well surprisingly enough and and you see that you know there's love there okay that's one thing that gets me is that there's love there but there but it's not an opposite to track type of situation you hear that expression a lot it's definitely not that and you kind of look at Vic and the way that he changes throughout the movie and he sort of has this cooler than the other side of the pillow aspect to him but he almost I'm not sure that she pushes him so much as he pushes himself towards the edge, right? And and things start to unravel from there. So and that's a debate that you can actually have when you're watching this movie, I think, especially in the latter half. And he's got this weird thing with snails, which was really awkward. There, there's some very awkward moments in this movie, but I don't know if that that's a bad thing. I think that that's very much on purpose. I think you're supposed to be feeling uncomfortable in those moments if that's the case bravo you've succeeded in in giving me exactly that plus there's there's some very unlikable characters in this too there's a character named don who's played by tracy letts who was insanely unlikable for a lot of different reasons there's some of these other random guys that you meet that are just very very annoying in a certain respect and i i but i gotta tell you that Lil Ray, Lil Howery, who plays Grant, the best comic relief you could possibly have in a movie like this. And thank goodness for him, because there there were moments where you needed a laugh, and he was there to provide it. But there was just the tension in this movie was really, really high. I thought that they did a very, very good job with that. And I gotta say, the. Every time I thought I was going to be taken out of this movie, I got taken back into it. And the end, the ending I thought was a very interesting choice and a little bit of a twist. And the decision that gets made, and and I'm really treading lightly here, is a very, very intriguing one. And why this person makes the decision that they make is also... Very, very interesting. And how something changes and why could be the biggest question of this entire movie. And and is it kind of messed up? Maybe that's the point. And I realize that I can't really tell you what that is because I'm being spoiler free. But when you watch this movie, you get to the end. I think you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you've seen this trailer, the trailer for this, I mean, this thing's it's it's very steamy. I could tell you that. For sure. There are times where you will be purposely frustrated, I think. And you're going to probably choose sides. And I I don't know which side you're going to choose. Or maybe you just decide that they're both just not great people. And you don't want to root for either one of them. And you're just in it to find out who implodes first. It's almost like you don't... When you're driving by on the... I never do this because it drives me nuts. But you're driving by an accident on the highway. You don't want to look, but so many people do because that's why we get stuck in traffic, right? But And that's kind of like this. It's like you don't want 
to know who's going to come out on top of this, but you can't help but keep going forward. So I'm on the fence. Is it a good movie or is it a bad movie? I guess it depends on your perspective and what you're looking for. I definitely think that the moments of frustration are deliberate. And if that's the case, it's a good movie. But if it's not, then it's not. So it's really kind of up to you to decide what happens here. And again, I think some individual performances in this are really, really, really good. And Grace Jenkins, I think, deserves a lot of credit as as the daughter, Trixie. I think that a lot of the stuff that she brings to the table here, and you don't expect this from a young person in a movie like this, but there is a... There, the moments between she and Ben Affleck is the, the dad moments from Ben Affleck's char- character, Vic, best parts of the movie. Because you could see that Ben Affleck as a dad himself. You could see that just come out in this movie for sure. You, you see the dad pride moments and a whole bunch of other things as well. So seeing Vic as a dad is, is a very, very bright spot of this movie. And then you, you see the other side of it and, and that tells you a lot as well. So deep water from Hulu. I, I'm on the fence. Let me know what you think. Tweet me at down and nerdy seven, five, seven. I'm very, very curious to hear your opinion on this, but yeah, make sure the kids are out of the room when you're watching this thing for sure. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Deep Water from Hulu. Up next, we're going to head to the DMZ and the Vertigo Comics adaptation, which is now streaming on HBO Max. I'll talk about that next, also spoiler-free, on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is April Bowlby from DC's Doom Patrol, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. A sneaky good comic book adaptation is now streaming on HBO Max. That's DMZ, which is a story... That was written by Brian Wood for Vertigo not too long ago. Is now streaming a four-episode event series starring Rosario Dawson and Benjamin Bratt. Going give to give you my spoiler-free review of this thing. I know it's only four episodes and it came out on Thursday. But again, maybe, you haven't, maybe you're on the fence about it. You want to know what's going on. And it's basically a woman named Alma who's played by Rosario Dawson. Who is looking for her son in a demilitarized zone in Manhattan. In a futuristic and very much dystopian society in New York and the politics that are involved here are really interesting. And it's funny because the movie starts out as one thing and then it becomes a completely other thing altogether. I say movie because it felt like a movie. I know it's a four episode event series, but it really felt like a movie and Alma's journey really takes a turn, especially in episode two that much. I can tell you, I don't want to spoil a ton, but what something about her son is very, very different. You've also got a husband that's involved, ex-husband that's involved in this as well. Also some past relationships that she has. And she ends up getting caught in a political war too, for the lack of a better way of putting it. And how that story unfolds over the course of these four episodes, I think is very, very interesting. There's also an interesting Romeo and Juliet aspect to this. There's a Montague and Capulets thing going on here that that again that's the that's as close to the spoiler as you're going to get from me in this review and there's a big big reason for that and there's also a big tide changing moment in the second episode as well. I think the second episode probably the biggest key episode of the four if I'm being honest other than the fourth of course because it wouldn't make sense if the fourth episode didn't have that kind of impact but Benjamin Bratt, I just got to say, this guy, just when he gets to play a bad guy, it's so epic. He just has this down 
to a science. I mean, I, I remember loving him so much on Law and Order and being the ultimate good guy at times, and then he gets to play a bad guy every now and then, and you just get drawn in by the evil with good intentions kind of character that, that he plays. I mean, maybe not exactly good intentions, certainly not pure intentions. At least he thinks they're good intentions. That's for sure. And the way that that kind of plays off of Hoon Lee's character of Wilson is really, really neat. And the wrench that Alma throws in this whole thing. And Rosario Dawson is the badass that you always want in a role like this. She really just grabs roles like this and just runs with them for sure. But then she's also got that softer side as well because she meets a young boy named Odie as well. And kind of t- takes takes him. I don't want to say takes him in because that's not necessarily the right wording for that. But just the way that she interacts with him, I think is really really neat. My complaint about DMZ, and this was a story that I really really loved, and and it ran for seventy two issues. By the way, the story did, so it wasn't just a graphic novel. I felt like you tell me right off the bat that this is a limited series. And I wished I'd gotten more. I was already, when it was over, I was like, really, that's that's it, huh? And I was really hoping that they could have dove into the story a little bit more because some stuff I thought was rushed a little bit. You could make the argument that certain stuff was cut out that didn't need to be there. I understand that. But I, I feel like there's more to the story that I wanted to see, more of this story that could have been told. And by the way, none of this is the fault of Ava DuVernay. I could tell you that right now. She does a fantastic job at adapting this story. I, I'm just going to throw that out there. So don't don't think that I'm, I'm knocking her in any respect. I'm just saying that it's almost like, the, the first of all, this show was really sprung on us, wasn't it? You, we knew that it was coming. We had no idea when or what the release date was. And all of a sudden, the release date was kind of sprung on us. So it's like, okay, by the way, here it is. And it's only going to be four episodes. And I know that, you know, the shooting during the pandemic was not easy and all that other stuff, but I wish that there, there would have been a little bit more patience for this project. It Maybe if it could have come out a little bit later, you know, you let it sit a little bit and you, and you think about what you have and a story that you could still tell. And, and instead it felt like they were trying to cram everything in so they wouldn't have to do more sort of thing. And again, not to the fault of anybody that actually made this. It's like, this is the hand that you're dealt Make sure you can give me a good conclusion in four episodes. And I think they did good with what they had. And you're supposed to be left wanting more. But knowing that we probably won't get that is a bit of a bummer because I feel like these characters deserve more. And maybe there's going to be a little bit of a change of heart in that. Hopefully, we'll wait and see. I really, really enjoyed DMZ. You've got to stream this thing. On HBO Max, I say Vertigo. It's really DC and Vertigo. You know what's going on with Vertigo recently. Vertigo Comics not around anymore. But this is a story that I loved as a comic. And I definitely loved as a series. I just wish I could have gotten more. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of DMZ. Now streaming on HBO Max. Up next, let's sneak some nerd news in. We'll talk about the Miss Marvel trailer and more next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book creator Jerry Conway, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Apparently becoming a superhero isn't a stretch after all. It's time for nerd news, and it's been a light news week. I'm not going to keep you for too long on this, but I did want to talk about a few things, and the first being the Miss Marvel trailer for the new Disney Plus series, 
which now we know is going to be premiering on June the 8th. And of course, Amon Vellani in the title role of Kamala Khan slash Miss Marvel. And overall, I thought thematically they, they definitely captured the essence of the character of Kamala Khan. You know, she, you know, she's a, she's a teenager. She's got school that she has to deal with. She's, you know, got her eyes on the boys and things like that. And, you know, she's a bit of a dreamer and she loves her superheroes. She's a little bit of a geek, which, you know, I can relate to. I'm sure you can relate to as well. And there's nothing wrong with that too. And she realizes that there's nothing wrong with that. Not everybody shares that opinion, but, but again, you know, and then of course she ends up gaining her powers and becoming a superhero herself. And it's one of those things where she realizes, you know, you know, maybe this life isn't exactly what I expected. Not that there's any regret there, but but still, I think this is going to be a very interesting story about how she balances family and being a hero, what kind of hero she wants to be and things like that. And I, it's certainly themes that we've seen before, but I think it's different this time too. And I really hope, and we get to see a little bit of this in the trailer too. I really hope that they bring out more of her culture and in this as well. And it looks like they are going to do that and make that a part of the story because that's definitely a big part of her story. The one beef I have with this is the way, the fact that it seems like they've changed her powers a little bit. And you've got these bracelets and, you know, there's glowing and it seems a lot more like Captain Marvel's powers, which is fine. But, I mean, if you look at the, the original comic, aren't her powers kind of tied to her character a bit? You know, the the way that everything manifested and how, you know, how she becomes a hero, isn't that tied to the abilities that she has and things like that? So I, I don't know that maybe you don't lose a little bit of that by doing this. Can, are they are they worried that, you know, if we have two stretchy characters, you know, Reed Richards coming in and and, and then Captain Marvel, people are going to, I mean, excuse me, Miss Marvel, people are going to be confused by that or they want to wait for Reed to be like the sole bearer of stretchiness. I don't get that if that's the case. I'm not saying that's what's going on, but it uh, feels that way, doesn't it? So and, and what's the deal with the bracelets? Does she not have her powers without them? Some something like that and that kind of cheapens it too. So I, I they're going to be very careful with how they introduce this and I really hope that this doesn't kind of blow the whole thing because this is one of those things that really can I think Amon Vellani has shown just in this trailer alone she's got this okay I'm not concerned about Amon Vellani at all I think that she really really has a good handle on this character and I think her enthusiasm really really shows through in this trailer what I'm worried about is the execution of how the character is presented and really I think authenticity is really really important here and I just hope that they're going to get it right. We'll have to wait and see. Well, it looks like the flight attendant is back for another season. We knew that already, but we now we know when that season's going to be happening, and that is on April the 21st. Of course, Kaylee Cuoco is back in the title role, and Cassie looks like she's cleaning up her life in this trailer a little bit. She's moved to L.A. She's gotten sober now. Oh, by the way, she's moonlighting as a CIA asset because she didn't, you know, kind of see that from the end of season one. Now, she's kind of gotten herself into it again. She's witnessed a murder. She's kind of entangled in this international intrigue type of situation. And you see her struggling with her, her sobriety in this, in this first trailer, which that's certainly something that's true to life, I think. So that's, that's a really, really interesting way to go about it. Getting stuck in her own head again, too. I think that that's really, really cool. And how her sister is like her go-to. And I really, really love that we, we're going to have more of that relationship, I think, 
in season two, but how she manages to kind of hide her secret life from her fellow flight attendants and her friends and things like that, I think is going to be a really, really interesting spot in this second season as well. And just see, and it really is all about Cassie. Quite frankly, this, this show is solely based on Cassie Bowen and your interest in where that character is going. So if, you know, the, the, the season takes a left turn and you're not interested in, in, in her, in her journey, then you're, you're going to kind of be out. But I got to tell you this season, this trailer seems like it takes things to another level this season and kind of almost makes it a different show in its second season. I thought the first season when it was interesting, really interested to see where the second season of the flight attendants going to be going on April the 21st. Some of the big news in the Star Trek world this week. Of course, you know, Discovery having its finale. And we're getting ready for Strange New Worlds. It's going to be coming up on May the 5th. And we have a Captain Kirk for Strange New Worlds. It's Paul Wesley, of course, you remember from the Vampire Diaries and Tell Me a Story. He is has taken the reins now as the new Captain Kirk. Gets some well wishes from William Shatner on the way, which is very, very cool. And if you're not familiar with what Strange New Worlds is going to be about. Of course, you've got Anson Mount back as Captain Pike. You're going to have Rebecca Romaine back as number one. You're going to have Spock as part of this as well. And they basically, they explore new worlds across the galaxy. And this is before Kirk takes command of the USS Enterprise. So the show's already been renewed for a second season. So obviously everybody at CBS and Viacom and Paramount Plus have a lot of faith in the show. And they've released the first look at Paul Wesley as Captain Kirk. He's definitely got that Kirk-esque look to him. He's got the, the facial expression, I think, down already. You could tell that Paul Wesley really studied this character for sure. And I mean, it's, it's a big responsibility playing Captain Kirk. Only two other people have played this character before, William Shatner and Chris Pine. And both, I think, have done a really, really good job. So those are big shoes to fill. And I think that doing it in a show like Strange New Worlds, which I think is going to be the most unique Star Trek series to date, for my money anyway, and it's one that I'm really, really looking forward to, even more so than some of the others that, that had come previously. I think this one has a chance to be really, really unique and set a different bar. So I'm looking forward to May 5th. Hopefully you are as well. And I think Paul Wesley has a chance to really knock this one out of the park. Really quickly, Netflix has announced the premiere date for the first live-action series set in the world of Resident Evil, and that's going to be on July the 14th. Of course, it's Resident Evil is the name of the series, and Andrew Dabb is the showrunner, of course, from Supernatural. And this one really is, as again, it's going to be it's touting kind of the redefining the legacy of the franchise, and it's 14 years after the virus that caused the global apocalypse, and it follows Jade Wesker and a fight for survival world overrun by, you know, the creatures. And apparently Jade's father has a connection to the Umbrella Corporation. New Raccoon City is where this is going to be based in. And also finding out what happened to her sister, Billy. I've told you about this series before, but now we know when it's actually going to be happening. And Lance Reddick also going to be leading the series as well as Albert Wesker. And this, this again, you want to redefine a franchise that has had a very, very, very big place in not just video games, but the world of entertainment in general. This is how you can do it with the first live-action series. Don't discount this just because it's the first live-action series. And Netflix has gone all-in 
on Resident Evil with, with animated series and films and things like that. Now it's time to bring things back to live action. And we just got a live a new live action movie for Resident Evil. It's time to take it to the series. And, and again, this is one that has a chance to really, really be good. And we're fast forwarding things to the year 2036. And I think that that, again, can set a very, very unique setting for this story. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my amazing guests this week. Make sure you're following along on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. Also, make sure you're following the brand new shows that we've got coming out next month at Mission Collect and at It's Comics Man. And of course, all this can be found at downandnerdypodcast.com. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.